What's up, guys? Welcome to the Watson's Chapel Podcast. I'm Hunter. I'm Mylon. And this is week number four. And guys, if you remember last week, we said that this would be our first week with a guest. And so today, we have Pastor Jason with us. How you feeling? Good. Good to be here. We are so excited that he is joining us. Not only is he joining us, but he has helped us uh, as we were taking a break from prayer. And so we have kind of like an interrupting topic. And we're going to be talking about... Uh, this question, what are the biblical evidences of salvation? And we're going to dive, I mean, deep today. Um, but before we even get into that, Alan, what's our intro today? So the intro, we've uh, been getting more feedback and uh, positive, and, and we love it. And uh, got some uh, folks uh, that have uh, come up to us and said, hey, we really enjoy the podcast. It's really addictive. And, uh, you know, we've made that comment more than once about uh, podcasts in general being addictive but what we want to focus on, it's, it's not the podcast that's addictive. It's God's Word that's addictive. And uh, the, the young men, both of them, uh, give, go ahead and give a shout-out to Terry Lee and uh, Justin Martin. Both those guys are uh, young men, and uh, they listened to the podcast, and they said they loved it. And uh, we're flattered by that. But here's, here's the deal. The reason we're doing this podcast is to impact young men like that because uh, we need more godly young men, and we hope that something can be said yeah. through this podcast that can impact their life, yeah. you know, and, and help them to be uh, spiritually mature and grow. And uh, our society today is absent of integrity. And you take the Word of God and put it in a young man, and it'll fix an integrity problem, I guarantee you. Yeah. So if they'll just leave it and believe it and, and let it impact their life, have no issues with integrity. Yeah, and, and you know, I was thinking to um, not only like young men, which are, are almost absent in, in the body of Christ this day. Like, you have more children and more women who are gonna are way more faithful, and so the men, in a sense, we need more young men to rise up. But what I love too is that uh, we've had multiple people, men and women. Young and old, middle-aged, moms, dads, single people come up and they're just like, you guys, this podcast is awesome. And not only here in the States, but I don't know if you guys know this, but we have two people, uh, so far, not people, but places internationally, and I don't remember off the top of my head, in other countries that have listened to our podcast. That's exciting. Yeah, and so I've been making the joke that we went international uh, last <laughs> week. And so, um, but yes, the, the thing is, is, you know, a lot of people can uh, get addicted to uh, the source. And by that, I mean almost like the avenue. So, like, they can get addicted to the idea of the show. Well, it's just like this. When we talk about Man Alive, uh, Terry Lee, for example, he's a, he's a young man that was brought in on the bus, and we could say, uh, look at him now, and he is a, a, a young man who brings his own children yeah. to church. And we could say, Man Alive, that bus ministry is great. Yeah. And that would be a true statement. But we really want to say, man, God's great. Yes. Look what God did. And that's the same concept we want with this podcast. Yeah, we're excited with the compliments, but it's not about the podcast and what it done. It's about what the Word of God and what God does. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's just like in a church, um, we, which our pastor, I mean, he, he said this before. You know, he, he doesn't get up so people will give him, you know, they'll clap their hands and stand up and shout amen and yell and praise him. I like doing it just to make him uncomfortable. <laughs> He's all about, you know, anybody, people will clap their hands and do all this, but if they leave and they're not diving into the Word themselves, well, then they're missing out. And that's our thing, too, is we want the feedback. We want all of these things, but more importantly, we want God to uh, be praised through this, but we want people to take the initiative and the church to dive into the Word themselves. And so that, I mean, that's kind of the, the challenge we well, have. Well said, Hunter. And if, if you don't get anything else that we say today, that's that's our end goal. Yeah. Abs- end goal. Absolutely. And so, guys, that was our intro. Um, and so we're going to move into our main topic today, which is what are the biblical evidences of salvation? Now, um, Alan, uh, Pastor Jason, you know, just jump in here whenever. You'll, you'll have to interrupt us, honestly. Um when we see this question, why is it important that in the year of 2020 that we answer this for people? So the, uh, the reason I think that we're going to talk on the evidences is that um, all throughout the Bible is that you have illustrations of Jesus talking to people and they're lacking in areas, areas that he describes should be evident in their life. So they take on a form of 
which we see a lot of that today, and a form of godliness. And what we want to do is make sure that people realize that um, this life, they've got one shot at it, and we want to make sure that they understand what a biblical salvation is according to God's Word, not our Word, not what a Baptist thinks, a Methodist thinks, or anything else. But what does God say about what is a biblical salvation? Yeah, and I think, too, and I was thinking about this on the way here today, that this... Answering this question, two things that came to mind. I think it's going to help a lot of people, but I think it also could expose. Because when you think about a biblical evidence of a salvation, we were actually talking about this today, Alan, that a few weeks ago, me and you touched on easy believism. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when a person just feels good about Jesus, but never reads their Bible, never spends time in prayer, doesn't even go to church anymore, but yet they claim to be a Christian, there's not a lot of evidence. And so, honestly, answering this question with Scripture might expose and shine some light on some people that they may not be biblically saved at all. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'll tell you one thing that really, uh, a question that opened my eyes when, when we were doing a, uh, a study on uh, sharing Jesus without fear, the question was asked, if you were believing a lie, if you were believing an untruth, yeah. Would you want to know it, or would you rather live in ignorance? So I think that today's study or today's topic is going to shed a lot of light on some people. Hey, if if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong so I can get it right. Yeah, I mean, and we know too that there's, I mean, because of the Holy Spirit of God, there is a correction that He provides. There's a reproving that He provides, and so we want people to be encouraged and learn more about the freedom and the opportunity they have. But if you're listening to this and throughout this episode, maybe God starts really shining in. I mean, the light's just on you, the gospel, that you've never truly biblically been saved or converted, then we hope that this encourages you and pulls you closer and that you could really surrender yourself um, to God. Yeah, one of the things we're not trying to do is get you to come to the chapel. Um, we visit over 600 homes in the last couple of years in this community. And, and, and I was asking specifically, you know, what church they attended, their pastor's name. And, um, and what surprised me is that we even went on a church night yeah. just to see the number of folks, which were very high number of folks that were not attending church. But here's the thing. Everybody was supposedly a Christian. But when you start looking at, <clears throat> okay, so why? And when they start talking about, well, back years ago, when I was young, they go through all the steps. But Christ said if he begins a good work in you, he'll finish that work. Or he says, faithful is he that calls you who also will perform it. So what we want to do is talk about the subjects of if we say that we're this, then what's the evidence? Well, the the Bible talks about it in many. Not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord. Yeah. It's not going to happen. No matter how bad you want it. You know, you've got the best intentions, but everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is not going to enter in. Yeah, and the reason I think we need to talk about this is because it's not talked about. And yeah. uh, this is the issue or this is the subject matter that, that a lot of people don't want to minister uh, about anymore or talk about. But really, the people that love you the most are those who share the truth with you. And well, I want to back up and clarify one thing that I said because I'm, I do not want anybody to have the perception that I'm right and you're wrong. I don't anybody want to view this or listen to this and think that I have some sense of arrogancy about me yeah. to try to prove you wrong. That's not it at all, guys. This is just a biblical, you know, topical study yeah. on evidence. How you know? Yeah, Jesus said, "Examine yourself and see whether you be of the faith." Yeah, and the only way that I'm going to know that I'm of the faith is to look at what Jesus said. See it. Examine myself by His words, yeah. by the process of what takes place in a person's life as he grows a child into an adult. Yeah, and and by that, I look at my own self and see whether or not there's fruit from that. Yeah, and I mean that brought two two scriptures to my mind. We talked about in our college small group last night when you get into Galatians six. Paul would say, test your own self. Well, then you go into Corinthians, and it says, test your own self. And so, like Alan said, we're not here to have the holy look down on people at all, but we're here because we have seen this scripture, and we have tested ourselves. We've realized how 
um, you know, low we are and how high the Lord is. And we've learned that there is a biblical evidence of salvation because we've examined ourselves and came to that conclusion that we're, you know, what, what do you say? When, if someone thinks they are something when they are nothing, then they've deceived themselves. So we've been to the place of, yeah, we've had to examine ourselves and really look within. And now we're here providing biblical evidences so everyone else can. Yeah, and then we... We look within ourselves and realize that we all fail, we all fall short, that mm-hmm. none of us is perfect in this room. And so with that being said, uh, then we look at, okay, so then why do we keep pursuing? Yeah. Why do we keep seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, right? So that's why when we talk about these subjects in any church, in, in most churches all over the world, when you start talking about these things, it's the last thing we want to talk about because I have to look at myself and see whether or not that I'm yeah. doing exactly what's right. But here's one thing. You want to get it right on this side and not wait till you die, and then you stand before him. Yeah. And, I mean, that's when it becomes a reality, right, when death comes. So um, so I, I'm i looking forward to the subject today. Absolutely. And we can go ahead, and we'll start off with question one. And um, I can lead us in asking the questions today, and whoever wants to answer first, y'all, y'all go for it. Um, so our first question that we have today is, how can someone who is unlike God be like God? God. Yeah, so in in the beginning, when we look at creation, and God created everything in its own image, he pleased God. He was uh, making man in his own image. Yeah. Uh, spiritual relationship was right with God, which which pleased the Lord. Everything that he provided for Adam, everything that, uh, the provision of food, uh, the garden, all the scenery was perfect. Right relationship, communing with the Lord, and day by day, but what sin came, entered into the world, death by sin, it passed on all men. So then we see now people are unlike him, made in his image, but unlike him. So when we look at this, how can someone who's unlike God be like God? Well, then that's where we look within ourselves and say, okay, how can I be like him? How can I be like conformed to his image, what the Bible talks about? So, And that's the subject matters we're going to talk about. There are things that God has given us in the Bible that you will be able to look at the evidence of someone's life and say, just like in the speech of the disciples, they said, you're going to know them by how you love one another. Yeah. They knew Peter by how he talked around the campfire because you'd been with the Lord. So, so there are evidences that people, that they're, they're like faith, yeah. that they have um, the faith that's in Christ. And so, um, and I, I kind of want to add this too, and then Alan, if you, you want to j- chime in, I, so when we think of that question about being like God, I kind of want to put some more clarity on this. So even our um, in your message this Sunday, you talk about people who preach a gospel saying, you can be a little G-God. Mm. So when we look at this question of how can someone be like God, I want to say this, and I mean this is echoed throughout Scripture, we will never be equivalent we will never be on the same level or the same stage as God. We are completely under Him. And in a specific situation, I was thinking, I was listening to a sermon uh, by Creflo Dollar, a prosperity preacher, and all of a sudden, he starts preaching from the pulpit, and he was saying, you know, you can be a God. You can be a God. And, and I say his name, but listen, there's tons of prosperity preachers out there. And the Bible says that we need to be able to point these people out, and we need to be able to expose the falseness. Uh, and, and so to say these people will preach that you literally can be like God, a little g-God, but you can't. But as Pastor Jason was saying, there is something There is something that we can be Christ-alike. The Bible would even say that we can share in His holiness. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I wanted to just clarify, if anyone's out there and you're like, what do you mean, be like God? Well, we're definitely not on the left side of the field like a lot of prosperity preachers are. We're on the right side of the field where the Scripture says. If Jesus bodily walked on the earth, which He did, and they seen Him, then we see that in His absence... But through the preaching of the cross, through the witness of the Holy Spirit, that now we are the body of Christ, and there are many members. So within that, we, to an extent, are the hands, the feet, the mouth, uh, the work. Yeah. We're carrying on that. So that should be what people see in us that would say they have a relationship with him. Yeah, definitely. Alan, you got anything to add? So when we, when we talk about that longing that 
is inside of us to be like God. And we talked about it before, Hunter. When uh, it seems like every time, every time I want to do right, I do what I don't want to do. Yeah. What I do want to do, I don't want to do. So that inner presence that uh, 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 of a desire to be more godly, a desire to be more like Christ, that to me is is one thing that we need to nurture and feed and pursue and, and to long after God. And we've talked about that too in one of the other ones. The scripture that comes to mind is Matthew 22, uh, verse number seven, 37. Uh, they ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? And he tells them, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy strength. And the second one's like this, love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two right, there's going to be a lot of things fall in place Yeah. as far as me being like God. Yeah. Because I love him supremely, and he's number one in my life. Yeah. And all the other things is now I love my neighbor, and I put others above myself, and I'm not selfish, and I'm not self-centered and everything that I do doesn't center around me, but I'm putting others above me. Yeah. And I was even reading today throughout Luke and, you know, when Jesus, they're having the Passover, you know, they're having dinner together, you know, there's the grumble between the disciples, like who would be first? And so Jesus starts teaching them about how he, you know, to, you need to be a servant. And he's like, I myself am a servant. And so if we want to be like Christ, who is God in flesh, then we need to love God with our heart. We need to love our neighbors. Why? Because Jesus did that as well, and he set the example. That's why we also long for the resurrection. The oh, yeah. yeah. To be like in the image of Christ, to have a new body, to uh, fully be able to understand, lay down this robe of flesh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's one of the parts. Earth groans and travails, waiting for the adoptions of sons. So these are things God's promised for those that love him. Yeah. And it's just for us to uh, to want to be like him down here. But the future part, the glory side of yeah. it, we are going to be like his son to worship him, not be as him, yeah. but to, to be able to worship him and live with him forever. Yeah, and well, I mean, we even get to rule and reign beside him Absolutely. and be with him. And, you know, I even think in another text, and we can jump to question two, was, uh, you know, what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that God put eternity inside of man's heart. So there's a longing with inside of man for something to worship, something to look upon, something to praise and to put everything into. And the sad part is, though, because there's sin, people are definitely longing and falling after the wrong things when instead we should follow God. Um, so, all right, let's go to question two. Um, why do people need to be born again? Why? So, get in John chapter 3. One of the scriptures where a man comes to Jesus by night, he's got the question on the inside. The young and rich ruler comes, what do I have to do to have eternal life? So that question is within all of humanity about living forever. And why do people need to be born again? We're under the Adamic curse. Sin is the the condemnation that passes upon all men, regardless of what part of the world you're born in, who your parents are, what church you go to. We're all born a sinner. Yeah, and and because of that, we we need to be spiritually reborn again. You know, Nicodemus said, "How can a man enter into his mother's womb the second time and be born?" Jesus, like, I'm not talking about a physical birth. That yeah. happens once. <laughs> he said, "It's a spiritual birth." Yeah, and that's why Christ came. So that that's the need. Um, if people die without Christ, the Bible teaches us they die in unbelief. Yeah, and it's not because God sends them anywhere. It's because they won't believe in the message of His Son. Yeah. True. That is the message. True. The Bible said, "If any man preach any other message, let him be accursed." Yep. Yeah. So, and, and you know, I, when I look at that question too, and you you talked about it with the the Adamic curse, um, you know, the the text I wrote down was the beginning of Romans six twenty three, where it says that there's a wage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the wages of sin is death, and so that that means if I have a wage that I have to pay, that means I owe something. Something has to be paid. Something has to be put on the table. And so when you look at how I was born into sin, well, that means all of the evil doings and the wickedness and all of the things that I've ever done in my life, we've got to pay for those. But reality is, is that no human being can pay the wage of their sin. We don't have enough uh, divineness within us. Listen, you can own this whole world, but the Scripture even says, you know, you can profit the whole world and still lose your soul. So that shows me that no money, no car, 
you know, the the Egyptians used to believe that when they would bury people, they would put their mm-hmm. all their stuff in the tomb with them and around them because they would take them. No, that's not how it works. So there's nothing on this earth that I can use to pay my wage. And if you even think about it, God allowed those things to be mm-hmm. created. So why would he take things that he put on this side of eternity for a payment? And so that shows me that the only way that that wage can absolutely be paid is someone's got to die. A sacrifice has to be given. Now, you think in the Old Testament, which some people still practice sacrificial, you know, yearly slaughtering animals and do it. Some people still do that. But Jesus, when you read through Hebrews, mm-hmm. it says that there was a sacrifice and it would be the last one because he would be an, an eternal high priest. He would be in a priesthood that would last forever. And so why do people need to be born again? It's because, listen, if you won't believe and you won't accept John chapter 3, then my friend, you're never, your sins will never be paid for. And ultimately, they will lead you to that wide and broad and narrow path that leads to destruction. And ultimately, the end of that path is the pit of hell. And, and I mean, everlasting condemnation, punishment, all of these things. And so that's why someone needs to be born again is so they don't have to Pay, try to figure out how they're going to pay for the wage when ultimately they can't. So. That's, that's, that's what Christ's purpose was. Yeah. And and the, I think there's a lot of confusion today. I mean, you go back to the, the examples that Pastor Jason brought up. There was a curiosity. Yeah. You know, heard about it, curious about it. Yeah, it sounds good. But that, and I'm going to set up the next question here. Okay. That wooing, that, 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 that sincere desire for that Christ-like uh, change is something that's initiated by God. Yeah. The Holy Spirit that yeah. makes, a, makes a, a man aware. I mean, yeah, we can all be curious about it. And we can all, you know, think, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Several examples in the Bible where when the, the scriptures were explained to them, they're like, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. Not, I'm not that curious. And I think there's a lot of that still today. Where there's folks that you know what, yeah, I want to go to church, yeah, I want, I want, I want to claim the title of Christian. And Pastor Jason's already explained, you know, numerous doors knocked on, and everybody's a Christian. Why is it so hard to tell by lifestyle? Yeah, if everybody's a Christian, what, what, why are the Christians not coming out from among the world and being separate? And it's, it goes back to the you love God supremely. Love your neighbor as yourself. That separation is a natural byproduct. Yeah. It, it comes. So uh, the next question is, how does somebody know they're lost, Pastor Jason? So when you look as far as like um, we look at the scriptures, the, the guide of God's word, how that, you know, for, for example, what the law couldn't do is weak through the flesh. God sent forth his son. The law couldn't save. It wasn't designed to save. The law was given so man would know he was sinful. Like Paul said, I didn't know I was a covetous man. Till, till the Holy Spirit dealt with him. Yeah, you know. So when you look at how do people know they're lost and they're sinful, you look at the lifestyle, the the worldly lifestyle, the things of this world. Um, one of the things you look in as far as God's word is that there are things that God is totally against because of the way that He has, how He's made mankind to be a man and a woman, not two men, not two women. Correct. Correct. So within that, there are things in the Old Testament people say, well, that that. That just don't stand anymore. That just, well, he dealt with it in the New Testament as well. So when he looks at mankind and we see the sinfulness of mankind and how does someone know they're lost, well, in light of text. A carnal man can't discern the things of God, neither can he know them because they have to be spiritually discerned, right? So we start sharing the gospel. We start telling people, I mean, if you start telling people they're lost, right, then, well, how do I know that I'm lost? You start sharing God's word, which is the only light that can shine into a soul. Then we realize that we we all fall short. Yeah. You try to keep a law, you break one, you break them all, right? So it's not as much as we trying to convict people that they're lost. It's telling them about why Christ came. Yeah. Because until they see the Savior, you know, it's sort of like until a man is willing to die, then he can't live. Yeah. That's what Jesus talks about. So the crowds, when Jesus started his ministry, crowds come everywhere. John the Baptist, they all come out to see him. He starts preaching repentance, getting right with God. The crowds go away. Jesus comes on the scene. Crowds are everywhere. They're following him everywhere. Then all of a sudden he starts teaching the strong words 
Now the miracles, now the feeding, all those other things are not taking place. The crowds start walking away. Yeah. And he looks at him, and because he knew their hearts, he looks at his disciples. Will you also go away? Well, they said no. If you remember, Peter said this once. He said, Peter, who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh hadn't told you that. God's revealed that to you. So let me ask you this. If you were to ask yourself this question, how do I know if I'm lost? Well, so let me ask you this. How much time do you spend praying? How much time do you spend reading God's Word? How much time do you spend worshiping? There are things that are that are evident in a person's life that belong to Christ. Yeah. He's Father, Abba. We cry that because we belong to Him. So having a form of godliness is where... Um, it talked about the Bible said the devils believe and they also tremble. They believe there's one God. Yeah. And there are people that believe there is a God. The problem is there's so many religions that say there's multiple ways to God, which is a falsity, right? It's absolutely false. So so if you want to know if you're lost and, and you want to really look within your own life, what's your habitual lifestyle like? I have to look within myself every day and say, does this line up with what the Bible says? And, and here's the thing. There are people, I believe that when they hear a message of truth, uh, when they hear the gospel and what Christ is speaking, and when they begin looking within their own lives, so it'd be like realizing, knowing, right? Uh, knowing on the inside, hey, this don't line up with the Bible. That right there should be, hey, I need to check this out. Why is my life not like this? It's the bad analogy I, I share with the church. I, if I told you guys I'm a bodybuilder, and you look at me, you say, he's lying. <laughs> there's no way. I mean, he looks like a busted can of biscuits, right? <laughs> but if there's evidence, yeah. there's going to be evidence by looking at, at the features. So, so if I tell you that I'm a Christian, then you should be able to, anyone that's Christian, should be able to look in the Bible and say, there's fruit. Absolutely. Yeah. Not perfect fruit. Yeah. There's some fruit. Well, and I mean, too... The, the the scripture says you know let your uh, let your lights so shine and it talks about that and then but a, a certain segment of it says so they will see your good works and glorify God so there's something within a Christian that when you're a true believing Christian and there's evidences and all of these things it should be evident so let's talk about the conscience let's go deeper than that yeah now we've talked on the outward things now let's look on the inside. This is where it all begins. God's not here to save the outside. He begins on the inside. When you look at the conscience and you look at the soul, the soul was made to be eternal. That, that's who you are. That's, you'll live forever. The soul will live forever. Um, but the conscience, the conscience is the awareness somewhere between the brain, somewhere between the heart. It's hard to explain. Yep. But the conscience of man, there's a guilt that remained. That's what Hebrews talks about. Their conscience, it, their guilt, it remained. And, and a person that is unsaved, right? There's a guilt that's there. It takes the Holy Spirit conviction, though, to enlighten that soul yeah. that they're lost. You can tell someone they're lost. Somebody can tell them, tell them they're good. They'll feel good about their self. But it takes God. It takes the power of God. You know, you're begotten by the Word. So, so if you were to answer that, in my opinion, how does someone know they're lost? God has to tell you. And and to me, a lot of times that there's been this controversy for years about, you know, when does a person come to the point where they can be saved? Where's that level of? What age is there? Some put an age, 12 and 13 years old, yeah. when the time of accountability comes. And this is the answer that I have. When God tells you you're lost, you'll know that you're lost. There's no way that a holy God in heaven that brought everything into creation, that sent his Son and the Holy Spirit of God, when he deals in a person's heart, they'll know they're lost. That conviction will be there because they'll know that they are apart from God. Absolutely. And anybody that has any moral fiber whatsoever will have no trouble comprehending who it is that's speaking to them. Yeah. I won't have to ask. I know it's God. Let me say this to a lot of people down through the years, and this is not speaking against any person, any church, because the intent was great. I can remember when I was young, about up to the knee, between the knee and the thigh of a person, they'd come down during church. They'd come back and they'd, they'd be standing over top of you. Have you ever been saved? Great intentions. But a lot of times we'd see them grab hold of them people and take them all the way up to an altar without God dealing with them at all. They pray a prayer, they've shouted the house down, and now you've got a person that thinks that they're saved. And again, if someone has to tell you that you're lost, then you need to make sure it's God telling you that you're lost. 
Now, again, they had great intents. The problem yeah. is when we try to be God, when we try to put conviction on people, we are actually misleading. It's almost like putting a stumbling block yeah. in front of them. The Bible gives us an awareness to make sure we don't put stumbling blocks in front of people. So, uh, so you know, if you're one of those that you follow the crowd, if you're one of those that during a Bible school, a lot of people have testified the struggle. They went up because someone went. They yeah. went up. Brother Allen shared one time about his brother one time. Yep. So, so here's the thing about it. If God's not telling you, don't go. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and I think, too, from that aspect of when a man tries to intercede in a work that belongs to God, it's going to fail every time. Yep. But now, something we always talk about every week, what uh, the emotions. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about a, a salvational, you know, a biblical salvation, now— there is a broken, a contract spirit. There is, there is a conviction. There's a heaviness. But I've seen a lot of times, too, where maybe a man won't specifically say, have you ever been saved? And do, But talking people into it through emotions. Mm-hmm. Like we live in a modern age where they know the right music to play in the background. Yep. Like if you ever see a lot of churches, like usually, and I, you know, the worship team, the people, they know what songs to play to get people to react. It's like this. Um, I, you know, I, I listen to some music that's out there that's been created by um, some churches that I, I don't specifically agree with. But, you know, um, like some evangelists, some people, they'll go out and anytime they do an altar call, right, all of a sudden you have this piano that slowly just comes in and gradually it increases in volume right so as that's happening there's someone on stage that's having to instruct and talk everyone into what to do like this one time i saw a guy he was preaching a message and he said you know uh everybody stay still you know and the music starts playing and he goes the presence of god is now entering in this room and he, you know, repeats the presence of God. You're going to start convincing people in the room that the presence, the presence of God, is entering the room. So all of a sudden, it starts with that. And now, you know, he's running across stage saying, "The Holy Spirit's over here. The Holy Spirit's over here." The music gets louder and louder and louder. And even if you used to watch Benny Hinn Crusades, I believe in miracles. He would sing the same song. Why? Because. There's an emotion that is within a person. Like I was saying, this guy's running across the stage, the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's here, 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 and here. All of a sudden, he's like, all right, before he even gives a salvation altar call, he says, open your mouth. The Lord will fill it. Open your mouth. And people are laughing like hyenas and barking like dogs. and And then all of a sudden, he's like, if you're here today and you're lost, you have just now experienced the Holy Spirit. And I was like, whoa. They can't even experience the Holy Spirit without biblically being saved. So not only can people talk you into it, you know, maybe with the scare tactics or something, but we live in a day and age where people will use entertainment to get a hold of your emotions. I was at a youth service once where they did all of these things, and all of a sudden the guy came over a mic. The light, it's pitch black in the room. There's music going on. And for 30 minutes, if you're here today and you're lost, you need to be saved. If you're here today and you're lost, you need to be saved. And he keeps repeating it. Well, eventually you're going to convince someone that they're lost. And the music's going to get their emotions. They're going to start crying. And once the tears come out, you've got them right where you want them. One thing I've come to learn is God don't need our help in saving people. Nope. And, and here's the part about it. If you're not begotten by the Word and the conviction don't come that way, then... If you come another way, the Bible says a thief tries to come in the other way. He yeah. tries to enter in through a different door. So what I have learned down through the years, when it comes time for altar call, uh, years ago when you look back in the scriptures, they wasn't given 15-minute altar calls. People were so broken because of their sins and the conviction was there, they would come immediately. Amen. They would come during the preaching. Yeah. They would come during the time. And I've seen that in my life, but it seems like today the more the more that people hear preaching. The Bible talks in one place, it's like your conscience being seared with a hot iron. And that means that they're actually castrated from the truth. Yeah. So if the truth don't set you free, you might want to do a check on that. Yeah, and, and I mean, 
th- two examples that came to my mind instantly. Okay, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, you know, Peter's preaching to Cornelius. Sure. He, he didn't even get to finish the message. And all of a sudden, you know, they believe and they're, they're converted. Okay, let's think about Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Peter preaches his whole message and there's, he doesn't even give an invitation because the people are already in a place where they're going, what do we do? What do we do? What must we do to be saved? He tells them 3,000 people are saved that day. Yep. So when you think of an altar call or an invitation, I mean, we all can attest to this, to where we've been in church services or revival where a man will get up and preach, give an invitation, no one comes, someone else might even come up and extend the invitation and eventually you're going to talk someone else into it. Now, when we look at biblical examples, they just responded out of their own response. Absolutely. And when we talk about the conscience and the conscience, God, God affects that conscience. But you understand, your intellect, your mentality can also affect your conscience. And that could produce emotion. The emotion will not save you whatsoever. No. And when we talk about the biblical conversion of the soul that's completely and pastor jason said it it's completely 100 percent the work of god nothing i can do except be obedient and share the word god gives the increase god does the drawing god does the saving yeah absolutely uh, next question and we've touched on this a little bit but what truth enlightens the inward part of a person what truth so you're sitting in church or you attend and it seems like that everybody's like the preacher's been following me it's not that the preacher's followed anyone it's the truth that he's that he's sharing which is god's word yeah and god's word we all know that that gets into where we live god knows us he's he knows the number of hairs there's yeah so so as we're sitting there and we're hearing the word of god we know ourselves best i know me just like you guys know yourself and it's the it's the word of God that that it just seems like whether it's in a message, whether it's where He sends a Christian my way to give me a word, whether it's a, a sermon that I'm hearing on the radio, God knows exactly how to get hold of me yeah. with His word. So when you talk about being enlightened, um, what truth enlightens the inward part of a person? That's one of those that's one of those things right there that you need to make sure. It, whatever motivates you, whatever draws you, whatever is, uh, whatever's going on the inside of you, make sure it's the Word of God. Yeah, that that's that's speaking to you inwardly because it's the only source of truth that we got that's undefiled. Yeah, it's the only source of truth that can draw a person. It's the only source of truth that can save. And matter of fact, the revelation He said, "You don't add to this nor take away from it." Yeah, because it's God's. So that's where the. We, we really need to look. There's there so many. So I can name the Roman road. I can name, you know, the, there's so many aspects that people's made it. You repeat this, you go through this, and all these other things. Look, the Holy Spirit of God's going to do that work. Just tell them the truth. Tell them what God says about salvation. Don't you try to be the one that gets the glory. Let God get the glory. Yeah. So, but it, the truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, 14 and 6 of John. So, but it's the inward part. Alan talked about the conscience. I have to be careful of what I tell myself on the inside. I can hear truth and tell myself I'm fine. I can hear the truth, and God can be deal with me about something that's, that's going on in my life, and I can tell myself, just wait. Just put it off till next week. It'll go yep. away. I've tried to go to sleep before and say it'll just go away. But here's one thing about it. You can't get away from the truth. You can't. And there's a lot of intellectual people out there. Sure. When we talk about the, 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 the impact that God has on a society and the impact that God has on individuals, some people have more calloused, hardened. You talk about that age of accountability. Boy, I tell you what, we, we look at folks and, and we bring them in that have been through uh, – prostitution and drug addiction and they give their testimony and we think man what a what a moving testimony that is what yeah. what god has done for them and i i'm i'm glad that god has delivered them from that but the best moving testimony is to me in my opinion is somebody who accepted christ the very first time the holy spirit spoke to them were saved at that point and were in pursuit of him the rest of their life that's an awesome testimony yeah Pilate said this, um, 
the Lord had stood before him as he was questioning, putting all those things in front of him. And Pilate said this, what is truth? His wife had come and had a dream about the Lord not to have any dealings with him. And when he asked that question. He's a smart man, wasn't he? <laughs> he had him right in front of him. Yeah, smart man. <laughs> but yet still he went and tried to wash his hands, trying to make himself innocent from what he had just done. So, so any person that's come in contact with Christ, the Bible says this, there, there's, there's going to be, it's going to be more tolerable for those in Sodom and Gomorrah than those in Chorazin and all those places where Jesus ministered because they've seen the Son of God. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the examples. And, and when, you, when you look at that, it's saying, if you reject that truth, that enlightenment, I mean, you physically seen blind Bartimaeus. You've seen all the people that he healed. You heard the thing. You heard of all these things, but you, you rejected that. So, so when you say what truth enlightens, it's truth Christ. Absolutely. And, and I was even thinking about two things, um, is that in Galatians 6, there's one point where Paul would even, you got to think, Paul was a powerful, I mean, he was an apostle, but he preached the word. Like, the Lord did use go use, uh, him to perform miracles and all of these things, but ultimately Paul preached the word. And you get to the end of Galatians 6, and it, he even says, um, you know, it, there's nothing else really to boast about, but I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you have Paul who said, I didn't come to you in men's wisdom, you know, I, I didn't come to you in this, I didn't come to you in this, and then eventually he says, well, I just boast in Jesus Christ. Well, that speaks to the truth that has to be shared to help someone be enlightened. It has to be the cross of Jesus Christ, and ultimately that is um, the gospel. And then another example I was thinking too, because you mentioned Pilate. Well, then my mind started going to Acts 26 when he's before Agrippa, and all he does is share his testimony about how Jesus Christ— I mean, he even went in and he quoted, we got red letters here about, Saul, Saul, why are you per, uh, persecuting me? And he's telling his testimony and all of these things to Agrippa, and then he says, uh, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So even right there, Agrippa was exposed to the truth of the gospel. And there was a moment where that truth settled in. But what did he decide? In a short time, well, you may have persuaded me. So there was a rejection that took place. And what did Paul do? He shared his testimony. He shared the power of the gospel with Agrippa. And he says, well, man, you would have persuaded me, but you didn't. Here's the decision people's going to have to make. When you start studying the followings that people's had down through the years, we can start naming different religions. If you find a man that's been naturally born of a woman, and then he began a theology, and people followed that theology, and he died, and they buried him, and he's still dead, I wouldn't follow that religion. Jesus Christ is the only one who was virgin-born, who is God's son, and listen, he did die, but in three days he rose again. It's the only living, true message. It's the number one seller of the Bible. Is It always has been. It always will be. Yeah. It's the only one that's not promoting taking other people's lives, anarchy in the world, selecting people out. These are the only ones that are going... Yeah. The invitation's for all, for all the whole world, because we're all sinners. So that's where when we start looking at, when we start sharing the truth, regardless of where people go to church, doesn't matter to me. Tell them about Jesus. Absolutely. So let's go to question five, and then we're going to jump to our main question, question six, and we've got about 20 minutes, so we've got plenty of time. Um, so now question five says this, How is a person biblically saved? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first swing at this. You've already mentioned one example. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Who do you say I am? Well, he says, Well, to Christ. You've already said it. God revealed to Peter who Christ was. So there's this divine power that has to reveal to someone specifically who Jesus is. Okay, so here's a text you two have probably already thought. John six forty four. Mm -hmm. There has to be a drawing that takes place. So this puts more emphasis on God because check this out. There's a term that we use in theology and throughout church. Uh, maybe you've talked about it and you don't even... Reconciliation, which means being brought back. So Genesis 3 happens. Humanity has sin between them. All of a sudden, God's like, well, guess what? I have my son who's going to come in. He's going to be the mediator and the intercessor. So we can be reconciled. We can be brought back to God. But here's the thing. God has to be the initiator of that. So for someone to be biblically saved, we've already talked about it, 
a John 6, 44 has to happen. You have to be drawn by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. What, what do you guys got? What are you going to add to it? So you can go to Romans 10. You can look in Romans 10. You can go over in Romans chapter number 6. And everywhere that you start looking uh, and, and studying the message about Christ, when you look at the, you look at the eunuch, you look at the Philippian jailer, Everybody that you look at, once the Holy Spirit began dealing with him, I mean, the eunuch's reading Isaiah, and he said, how can I understand it unless some man teach me? And all of a sudden he starts preaching Christ. And he preaches Christ, no doubt death, burial, and resurrection to the point. So the conviction was there. Then all of a sudden there's repentance. Unless you repent, you will all in likewise perish. Yep. Repentance is not a work. Repentance comes before salvation. Repentance and faith. The part that you believe that Jesus said, if you believe that God, that Christ died and rose again, he said, thou shalt be saved. You know, yeah. for with the heart man believes in the righteous, with the mouth, mouth confession is made. So it takes repentance. And when a person repents of their sin, they put their faith in Christ. Then we see the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, the yeah. person being saved. Jesus said before the Holy Spirit came, me and my Father, we're going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to get... So yeah. in that promise we're going to come and be with dwell in you. Yeah. The inward the the part of the soul that saved the Holy Spirit has sealed, the Holy Spirit has regenerated, the Holy Spirit's going to continue that work that Christ began. Yeah. The Holy Spirit points you to Christ yeah. in the message. He said he'd come in my name. That's right. So so if you want to look how's a person biblically saved, it's not in anything that you do. Ephesians two and nine says, Not of works lest any man should boast. boast. You can't We've talked about this. There's nothing you can do other than bring your sins and confess them before God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been reading this the last couple of days in Luke and really studying out Luke 15, which you have your three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, really studying out how all three of those really revolve more about God than the individuals. But if you think about this, even with the prodigal, he was out and about, and what did he say while he was out and about? I have sinned against my father. I'm going to go home. So he goes back, meets the father, and the father embraces him. But what does he say? I have sinned. So there has to be a repentance and a confession. Okay, so here's another thing. When salvation occurs, if there is not sin, if there's not, you know, the repentance, if you're like, well, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Okay, well, if, you know... Or, by you doing that, you talked about it this uh, this past Sunday morning. By rejecting the commandments of God, well, you're calling God a liar. So there has to be a repentance that takes place. Because here's the thing. Jesus, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you know, why, why does your master, or well, they came to the disciples, why, why does your master eat with all these people? Well, he said, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the whole. So there's this sense of someone who, re, like, repents and admits that they're a sinner, they're admitting that they're sick and they're in need of a cure. If you believe that repentance doesn't have to take place, well, then you are just like the Pharisee. You are saying, it's fine. I'm self-righteous. I don't need to admit to anyone that, you know, I'm a sinner, especially God. Okay, well, we talked about this last week with Judas. Judas did confess, but he confessed to the high priest. So, and he confessed to the high priest. Well, they say, well, what good does it do us? Okay, he goes off and kills himself, never confesses to God. He does the whole Catholicism thing. I'll just confess to a man. So if you're not willing to confess your sins and repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins, reminder, repentance is a 180 turn. Turn from sin, turn to God. If you're not willing to do that, well, you're not going to be biblically saved at all. So we've got probably all levels of people listening to this podcast. We've got folks that are, you know, stooped in Bible study for multiple years. We may have people that don't have a whole lot of understanding of the scripture and when we use terms like you must be drawn by the holy spirit let's talk about that for just a second because what i want folks to understand is that the spirit has a special work in salvation it's that uh, it's that light that goes off in my head it's that realization that without god i have no hope and it's that point where now my conscience it's not being influenced by my mind. Yeah. It's not being influenced by my emotions. It's being influenced by the Spirit of God. It'll get you to a point where there's nothing you want more than God. I don't want my way more. I don't want uh, my 
uh, fun, my lifestyle, my things that I've, nothing will take the place of God. And when you get to that point, God's got you broken. That Holy Spirit's now drawing you into that relationship with him. And that's that's the beginning point where you understand that, man, without God, I I have no hope. Yeah. Drawing has to take place. Drawing. Conviction has to take place. Repentance has to take place. And then confession in, in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has to take place. So now that we've talked about all this, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes left. Let's get to our last question, question, which is really our main thing of this week. How does a person know if they're saved? Okay, what evidences are there in the Scripture? So what are the biblical evidences of salvation? Pastor Jason, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so, you know, the Bible said one place, He that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. One place He said, if I come, shall I find faith? Yeah, upon the work uh, on the earth. Yeah. So when we look at, I want I want to give you some scriptures here about the evidences. Um, so uh, the first evidence is is God's love. When a person is saved, they experience the love of God. It's in their heart. They love everybody in the room. It's a love they never experienced before. There's peace that God puts inside the heart. Um, the hope that we have in this life only our hope is in Christ. We be all men most miserable. There are things that God places inside the believer that we realize uh, we may not know we're an ambassador here. We may not understand fully about our citizenship being in heaven. We may not understand about the gifts and callings yet. But when a person is saved, they have a love for the Father they never had before. And they have a love for the brethren. One of the things that's in evidence, when you go back to the early church and you look at what took place when they were saved, 2 and 42 of Acts said, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. When you become part of the, the body of Christ, the evidence is that's where you belong. Yeah. That's who you now are. You belong to God's family. Yeah. You're a part of God's family. Then all of a sudden, when you start looking at evidences, we always hear the word fruit. It's, it's prior to the cross. It's after the cross. The reason is that the fruit is the evidence. It's, it's sort of like a, I've used this analogy before. Look at an apple tree. Throughout the life of an apple tree, ever so often you'll get one that has a worm in it. But if you look at the life of that apple tree at the end, you'll say, that apple tree produced apples. Same way as as looking at a Christian, there's going to be things in our life where we've made mistakes, we've sinned against God, we confess those up with 1 John 1 and 9. But through our life, it's a a sanctified life. Sanctified means you have been set apart. And that holy calling that draws you to salvation now, God is going to continue that work in your life so fruits of the Spirit, one of the evidences, all the fruits of the Spirit should be active in Christians' life throughout their life. We, all don't, we don't understand it all at once, but throughout our life, fruit is something that every Christian should produce. Yep. Now, the next part, I want to give you three scriptures quickly, and I'm going to move through these. When we talk about the evidences according to the scriptures, this is what Second Peter 1 and 3 said, According as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life, godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and to virtue. So God has provided everything by indwelling the Holy Spirit inside of us. Teacher, right? He's teacher. And that's why the Bible talks about not being taught of man anymore, but now the teacher lives on the inside. Now the Holy Spirit, God is going to teach us and give us everything. He's going to give us the knowledge we need, the wisdom we need. James three seventeen. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceful, gentle, easy to be treated, full of mercy, and good fruits. All right? Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Let me give you one more. Ephesians 4 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That's saying that God has given every Christian a spiritual capacity and an ability to serve God. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I want to talk about something, too. Um, you talked about the fruit and the things that come. One thing about being a new Christian and knowing if you are saved is your desires are changed. And I want to talk about a couple texts that really came to my mind. When you go into Ephesians chapter 4, and it talks about the new believer— so he says this, um, verse 20, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. 
So there's this desire within a new believer that you're going to look at your old lifestyle and think, yeah, I, I need to put that to death. I need to put that away, and I need to embrace the newness, the things you talked about. But ultimately, when you look at the end of that verse, well, it says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you have a desire for the things that you talked about, but ultimately now you have a desire to pursue the person that you were made in his image, in his righteousness, and in his holiness. Okay, so now let's go to Colossians. So Colossians 3 says this, um, verse 10 in chapter 3, And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here's another text that says, okay, you need to put on your new self, but not only that, now you're being renewed. Okay, so in this process, I mean, even think about... Um, uh, Romans 12, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. So now there's a renewing that takes place because you're putting on the new self, which is the new lifestyle, the new creature in Christ, the new everything. But ultimately, when you are a true biblically saved Christian, you have desires to pursue God. You have desires to walk, as Galatians 5 says, in the Spirit. You have desires to pursue after the fruits of the Spirit, the things that we get. You have a desire to seek the kingdom first. You have a desire for God's Word. You have a desire to pray to God. Now, are you going to be perfect at that? Absolutely not. And yeah, you might even fall short, but as a new creature in Christ, you now have a new set of desires to chase after. Another example, when I was lost in my sins, I had no desire to grow up to be a, like a youth director, a youth minister. I had no desire to attend Liberty University and try to go to uh, Bible college. I had no desire whatsoever to do anything. That I'm doing now. But when I was saved and I was made new, okay, now I'm a new creature in Christ. My desires changed. I, I mean, even when I graduated from college, I had an offer to go do uh, throw discus for a university's track team. Okay, but ultimately, my desires were changed. So I denied that and chose ministry. Okay, if I was lost, Never would have came across my mind, but because I'm a new creature in Christ, my desires are now for God and His holiness and His kingdom. So naturally, the 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 fleshly man, the 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 the, the normal uh, human side of us, has zero desire for that. Yeah. Now, and when you when you talk about uh, those uh, desires to want that godliness in your life, even if you're not perfect. You should take comfort in the fact that if I have that desire there, that's that's not yeah, that's not of a this world. That's of God. God puts that there and it helps you to draw close to him and pursue that relationship with him. Yeah. And, and two, like I mean, here's something else to think about. You know, when when I was a a baby Christian, you know, uh, I had to learn about what it meant to be a Christian and I really didn't step into that until I could start understanding scripture a little bit better and get out of, you know, like Bible school stories and get into like meat a little bit. But see, when I was a, a baby Christian, you know, I did have to repent and confess things to God. Okay. And th some, a lot of those things I've put off, you know, uh, Paul would tell Timothy in a sense, flee your youthful lust. So there's a lot of youthful things that I've deserted. Okay. And maybe the listeners you have too, but okay. Now here's the thing. Maybe you listen to the, a song that you're not supposed to, or maybe you play a board game that you're not supposed to, or maybe you um, ha participate in a conversation and you talk about things you shouldn't, okay? And then all of a sudden you leave from that, and now you're convicted. So there's this evidence that as we grow through sanctification that Alan talks about, we can become more s sensitive to God's Holy Spirit. And so I think, you know, if you're like, well, how am I saved? You really need to evaluate your convictions. You need to evaluate because if you have none, or let's say you're like, well, I don't have any convictions. I don't have any chastisement going on in my life. Well, when you read in Hebrews, it says, well, if you don't have chastisement in your life, well, you may not even be a son. So I think another evidence is when you look at your lifestyle, are you becoming more holy 
each day and walking in the Spirit of God, desiring the commandments of the Lord? Are you convicted about those things? Do you have a desire to follow them? So you wonder a lot of times when you look and you have someone with a profession. Yeah. And they've got 30 years profession. I mean, they've been heaven bound for 30 years. No fruit at all. You, we learned this in the last couple of weeks in the fellowship. Some of the parables of Christ. You can ask people, do you understand what this parable means? These are things that's elementary yeah. ever since the beginning of. So, and when you ask folks the simplest things on parables, do you understand what this parable means? Can you explain this to me? When, when, you, have, when you have people of 30 and 40 years who can't tell you what a parable means, we've got a problem. Now, one of the things we've got to talk about is discipleship. Yeah. A lot of times we have to make sure that any church, wherever you are regardless, we have to have discipleship. I mean, that's what First and Second Timothy is all about. Teach these things until I come. All these things. Uh, Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So we as God's people, we have a responsibility for discipling people, teaching them now that you're saved. These are the things that should be evident in your life. Yeah. But we've got to help lead people to that understanding. The host, now, God's going to do it in the Word, but that's our responsibility is to uh, train up disciples. Uh, Paul made this statement one once before about Timothy, and he said, there's not anybody else like-minded like him. That was a sad statement to make when yeah. when you don't have people that's, that's concerned about ministry. So for years, maybe we've sung about going to heaven for so long. I've been on my way to heaven for a long, long time that maybe we've not discipled, or it might be that people have a false profession. Yeah. The most dangerous thing would say, I'm okay without any evidence. And, and that's where my heart goes because... When you look at what Romans 6 was all about, there's some analogies right here. He says, okay, so therefore we're buried with him by baptism in the death, like Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's not talking about just visiting the church. That's talking a completely different yeah. life. For if we've been planted together, united in the likeness of, of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Next one. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's talking about a habitual lifestyle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and you might be listening to this and you're like, well, listen, I, I know I'm saved. I just don't understand a lot of things. Maybe you str Listen, like he said, there is sometimes there's a lack of discipleship. There's a lack of um, teaching. There's lacks of everything. But if you have a dis if you are at a place where you're like, I don't know, but man, I want to know. That's a good desire right there. And it's a good spot to be. And and when we when we talk about this, we we want to make sure that if you're listening, we're, we're not uh, judging or condemning right. or anything. We want you to know. Uh, check up. Do yeah. some do do some self examining. Get the scriptures that's been quoted, read them, find out through the Holy Spirit where you fall in line with them. Yeah. If salvation is absent, if you think that you're not saved, fix that. Call on God. If you need help, reach out to us. Yeah. We'll be glad to pray with you. If, yeah. if, if But here's the thing. That personal relationship with God, that's it. The key word's personal. It's between you and God and, and your honesty and, and, and transparency with God. And, and don't fool yourself. And don't let Satan deceive you either. Yeah. But just look at the Scripture, face value, honestly, and be honest about yourself and where you fall in that. Yeah, and if you, I mean, here's the thing too. If you claim to be a Christian, but yet your Bible's been a coaster for 30 years, it's not that we're saying you're lost. It's we're saying we're concerned. Yep. You might be truly saved, maybe, but maybe you've just never been in the right place. Maybe you've been in a black condition, or maybe you have your own version of Christianity and you're not truly following up. Or We're just saying this. We're concerned because if you truly are a Christian, your Bible shouldn't be a coaster for 30 years. It's a place where right now, as we're talking about this, and I look back through my life, there were times of failure in my life, yeah. the times that I didn't read and times I didn't study. I knew that I was saved. That was all. I never doubted that, never questioned that. But as far as pursuing the kingdom, his righteousness, holy yeah. living, but, but here's the thing about it. He did not leave me in that shape. 
yeah. and I thank God for it. Um, one of the things that James talks about when we talk about faith, and I know we're getting near the end of wrapping this up, but he's yeah. talking about ask yourself if the type of faith you profess, could that faith actually save you? Because he said, what does a man profit if, if a man say he has faith and hath not works? Can that type of faith? Now, James is not talking about salvation right here. He's talking about what takes place after a person is saved. Because you've got people that saying, I have faith with nothing. Yep. But James is saying, no, I'm going to show you what faith is with something. Yep. So when you look down through here and you talk about what he's, he's talking about how a person lives, and he says, look, a man may say that I have faith and I've got works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show thee my faith by my works. So that's where you can go in Colossians 1. I'm not going to go over there and read those. But in, in Colossians chapter number one, you're going to find you're going to find two verses over there, and in those two verses, you're going to talk. It's going to talk about the fruit. I think it's verse six, maybe verse number ten. If I can get to it's it, in quick. chapter one. Chapter one of Colossians. I got you right here. And yeah, right here it is. And if you'll look in Colossians chapter number one, here's what he says: The hopes laid up for you in heaven. You've heard before in the word of truth the gospel which is coming to you, as it's in the world. Look and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since, not 30 years later, nope. since the day ye heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Then you get in verse 10, he goes, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing. Look, being fruitful. Something happened. <laughs> yeah, every good work. Look, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Yep. Yep. And, and you might be listening to this and listen. We, we love everyone who listens to this. But if you're listening to this, and maybe you have the mindset of, you know, you you guys, you can't tell me what to do. I, I can do what I want and still be saved. Listen, don't let self-righteousness creep in and deceive you. And you might be listening, you're like, well, what standard? What makes you guys so holy that you could Nothing, actually. I, I think the three of us would admit, wretched man that I am. Yep. We have nothing. The only standard that we are promoting here today is all the scripture that That's we have it. read and we've spoke of. And this is the scripture not only will we tell and encourage everyone to live by, but the three of us, we wake up daily wanting to live by the verses we've read by. Wretched man, to say the least, to know what I was and to know what God's brought me mm. from, I, I have nothing but appreciation. Yeah. Nothing but a, a, a celebration. Wake up every morning, you know, Throw your feet out on the floor, healthy, got a good house, able to take care of myself, got a good job to go to. God's blessed me. And, and because he's blessed me, that generates within me a sense of gratitude Yeah, that makes me want to serve him, makes me want to live for him, makes me want to tell others about him, makes me want to pour myself into somebody and mentor them and to bring them up alongside and to strengthen them and to help them bear the load. So if you're listening, uh, uh, again, guys, we're 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 here to to, to help and to try to encourage, and uh, we we love you. Yeah, we and we. I mean, you. I'll say it again. We love everyone. But guys, hey, that's all we got. We're gonna wrap up here. Hey, if you um, have enjoyed this, you have learned something, you have questions or anything, reach out to us, guys. You can email us at media at watsonschapel.net. Um, our church has a Facebook. You can message us on there. You know, call in throughout the week. Um, our church is open. Um, you know, we're here. We're trying to um, edify the body, disciple people, and be there for people. And so we love you guys. We hope you've enjoyed. So, so long for me, Alan. God bless. And Pastor Jason, God thanks for joining us today. We've appreciated it. So, guys, we love y'all, and we'll see you next time. Peace.